What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of uh, what's the name of this show again? <laughs> After Hours with Mark DeMeo. <laughs> I haven't done this one in a while. Oh, this so is my fun. Thursday show, After Hours with Mark DeMeo. Um, I have an exciting guest. He's a recurring guest. Uh, he's our legal expert. He's here again tonight to talk about a case that he just had, and I'm very, uh, I'm really interested in, in hearing about it because it sounds like a very, very complicated case. You, you, uh, you were in our chat last week while I was recording with, um, with Angel, and you were bringing it up in the chat, and I said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's. It sounds <laughs> like, sounds like it, it, it needs its own um, separate show. So I'm happy that you were, you were able to join us. Uh, Joe Murray is in the house, folks. What's up, Joe Murray? Absolutely. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate it. I love this, you know, the mood lighting here in the studio. It's wonderful. After hours. Yeah, yeah. This is what after hours used to look like in New York. I don't know how many there are anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the good ones are. All right, I'm kidding. I know exactly where they all are. No. <laughs> um, I used to, we used to, yeah. remember how when you were young, like you'd actually go out to a club and uh, and the club would close and then you'd go somewhere else. Because you still wanted to uh, to dance and do cocaine and uh, <laughs> or whatever you were doing, and you went to an after hours. These were places that were open to like you know ten o'clock in the morning. Some of them, yeah. And man, when you came out of there and you saw the sunlight, uh, man, there was no there was you couldn't you couldn't uh, there was no stitching up your soul at that point. You you went That's to right. bed like just um, you just felt like shit, didn't you? You remember those days? Absolutely. You would I can't talk too much about them because God forbid I may run for office again. So don't kill me. Uh -huh. All right, I'll, I'll do <laughs> that. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun growing up. You're you're in this you know, you're you're indestructible. You're out there and partying hard and dancing, carrying on. So we just I remember there was right. one on, on 21st Street and uh what was that? I guess Astoria <laughs> Boulevard. 21st Street and Astoria Boulevard in Astoria. And man, it was upstairs. I remember leaving that place and just feeling like I got to get my life together. And I was like 18 years old. I was 18 years old saying I got to get my life together. <laughs> yeah, but 18, you're like indestructible. You could stay up three nights in a row, you know? I know, like, I know, I know. It just, it just uh, never felt never felt like great. Yeah. Um, so here's the deal, folks. I invited Joe in to, to talk about his case tonight. We got a couple other things we'll cover, but I only have 40 minutes. I have a doctor's appointment. Um, I know, right? My doctor's appointment's at 7.30 at night. And, wow. you know, I don't go to the doctor so much, so I don't realize how horrible my health insurance is. But <laughs> if they have to, if all the other doctors go home and then they open up the office again for your, <laughs> for you and your, and you're this cheap health insurance, you know, you're not, this is not, um, this is not Blue Cross Blue Shield. Okay. This is like hip, hip minus hip. Remember a hip? Yes. Hip yeah, insurance? Hip, hip, hip was free. That was yeah, the low budget, hips free. It was go below GHI. Go to the hip center. Yeah. yeah, 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 the center. That's where I want to go when I for my healthcare. I want to go sit in the center for forty five minutes, because <laughs> whatever I came in now, I also have a whooping cough, and um, <laughs> whatever you picked I, up along the way. Yeah, you you went in there for a, for a cut figure. You got diabetes, whooping cough, and uh, chlamydia. How did that happen? I was just sitting in the chair. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's say hello to the people in the chat. We have two new members, JC and Squirrel Sandwich. I can't even say it. Squirrel Sandwich. 
That's a tongue twister. Thank you so much for becoming members and joining the Police Off the Cuff family. We really appreciate your support. And uh, I hope you enjoy tonight's show. Uh, Louisa's here, Little Mermaid 85. Hello, Louisa. So happy to uh, see you in the chat. Kathy Bates and her dog Axel have joined us. Maui Swift, London Girl. Hello. Hello. The Pranzos. Got the Pranzos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Milwaukee Civilian. Were you, were you with us on Monday, Milwaukee? I didn't see you. I forget if I saw you. Uh, Milwaukee Civilian Girl, good to see all your familiar names again. I have missed you. Yeah, we missed you too. Uh, PJK. PJK. Jojo Lean. I wonder, when you guys make up these names, are you just trying to like show how, how what a horrible New York accent I have? Pauline Buckles. Angela. Hi, Angela. Oh, look, Mary Goldstein. Hi, Mary Goldstein. How are you? The week in After Hours Policing with Mark. <laughs> she combined both names because one is the the week in Crime and Policing and the other. All right. That's a funny joke, Mary. Um, Spirit of 1776, Joe Murray, my favorite. Tom Cusinelli. Tom Cusinelli. And uh, Pauline Buckles. Anybody else we missed here? Peter Pranzo's in the house. I think that's it. I think Jamie. Hi, Jamie. So, um, so hello to everybody. So, like I mentioned uh, at the top of the show, you had a case right now, and um, it didn't go your way. Yes, uh, Mark. You know how competitive we are, right? It's just uh -huh. naturally competitive, and. You want to win everything, and it, it's I take it so hard when I lose a case. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is the federal government, and I have so many criticisms of them and, and what they did in this case. And it, it's very similar to what we see going on in the news, the abuses, um, you know, the ethics. I actually felt like I was giving an ethics lesson when I did my closing statement. I actually got yelled at by the judge. Uh, because I, I could not believe what the government was doing. First of all, this was a massive case that, uh, yeah, you, you know what? Let's, um, because the people didn't get what, what you sent me. Um, so let's just tell people what the case was about. This is a money, money laundering case, it was very, very complicated. It involves, uh, it also involves some PPP money that was stolen. Thank you, Kathy Bates and Axel, for the two dollar uh, super chat. Uh, so we're talking about money laundering, um, bank fraud, racket. money laundering, and uh, illegal uh, money transmitting. It's like uh, an unlicensed Western Union uh, that they were alleging. Uh, but conspiracy. also, also with uh, with um, with uh, medical insurance, there was something with healthcare that fraud. Yeah, was, fraud. Yeah, yeah. How did they you just get approached with this case with with such with so much? First two questions, like how do you how do you get approached with a case of this magnitude, and then how do you wrap your arms around it when it's such a complicated case? Are you getting are you hiring experts in finance to help you get through all this? You have to do it yourself. It's a good point, uh, but here's the issue: I got the case because someone else who was involved in the case, representing someone, was conflicted out and was approached by this guy. So he referred it to me and it's somebody, and we do that a lot amongst lawyers. We have a circle of lawyers. If I have a two defendant case and I can't handle both, I'll call a friend of mine because we'll work together to, to win the case. 
in this instance, it was a huge network that the government was going after in the Eastern and Southern District. I can't get into all the details of what my client was involved in or, or alleged to be involved in, but just to give you an idea, there were six defendants in our little case, but there were so many other cases that were part of like this network of conspiracy. And they really tried to make this guy out to be like the John Gotti of this, you know, money laundering conspiracy and healthcare fraud, millions of dollars of, uh, you know, illegal proceeds uh, from these different scams. And uh, it was really unfortunate because what the government did is they have all these cases and they have a lot of evidence of a lot of criminal activity. But because we were the only ones that said, you know what, we're not guilty and we want to go to trial, they started giving out cooperation deals to anyone who would just throw something at my client. So we had seven cooperators by the time we went to trial. And these are these are some bad people, some really, you know, dangerous criminals who were uh involved in a lot of, uh, you know, criminal activity, hurt a lot of people. You know, you think about financial crimes that, you know, it's like a victimless crime. No, it's not. A lot of this involved hacking uh, people's accounts and uh, other organizations. So people were wiped out and, and decimated by this. And, you know, the one guy who was like the ringleader, he was testifying so cavalier. He was kind of like laughing at us because the government gave him a free pass, a free pass, as long as he was going to come in here and testify. You know, ultimately in federal court, it's up to the judge. But when we asked him, like, what is your expectation with your cooperation? What are you planning uh, to get? Or what do you hope to get from the judge? He's like, probation. I'm not going to jail. You know, like it was just so, and the government knows this. And each one of them get up there and they're, they're pitching their best to try to get out of jail. They want their ticket punched. So uh, it made it really difficult for us to overcome it because they were just saying whatever sounded good. And you would think that the, the jury is now picking up on this. But with the volume of evidence, there were 28 witnesses. I and mean, that's just so hard to overcome. Now, we originally had four witnesses, and this is why I, I challenged the government. They first approached me and said, look, we have two witnesses that are out of state. I think they're in Florida or something. We want them to testify remotely. I said, I got no problem. As long as you reciprocate, if I have an out-of-state witness, that you allow my witness uh, to testify remotely. Okay, yeah, well, we'll evaluate as we go. Okay, great. So as we get closer to trial, I tell them I have this witness who's out of the country and I want him to testify. And he was directly involved in the case. So they're like, uh, no, we're not going to allow that. He has to come to the, the, the country to testify. So that's the ethics of the government. They beg you to give them accommodations. But when you want an accommodation, that then they say, no, 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 mm. we're not allowing that. So that pissed me off. And then... Uh, you know, one of the other things with the government is I had to explain to the jury, as a defense attorney, I have one simple job, win. That's all I have to do. That's what I do. My client, defend my client. 
That's my only concern. I have a duty of loyalty to him and him alone. The government, what's their role in a prosecution? I ask people this all the time. What is a government's role in a prosecution? Is it to win or is it to seek justice? And that's what I had to like instruct this jury on. Because, you know, when witnesses get on the stand, right? Government witnesses, especially these informants, they get on the stand and it's like a script. They are so prepared. They go through their whole testimony. Boom. Now, when I want to cross-examine them, this is what I get. Uh, how much did you make last year? Oh, I have no idea. You've been doing this for 25 years. You mm -hmm. can't tell me how much you earned last year? What about the year before? No, I have no idea. Did you make $1,000 or did you make a million dollars? I have no idea. They just shut down completely. You know, mm -hmm. and I have to remind them that oath that they take when they get on the stand, what is that? Mm -hmm. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The government is supposed to ensure that these witnesses are are not lying, number one, and they're supposed to make sure that justice, you know, results out of this by ensuring that we get the truth, the whole truth. And it shouldn't be that we're trying to win, so we want to suppress them. But it got so bad with one of the main cooperators who at first I was talking to and I was getting a lot of good information out, and all of a sudden she shut down. And I said it during my closing arguments. I said it to the jurors, and I could see them all done. I said, do you remember? She was answering all my questions. She was, like, looking at me. And then all of a sudden, she shut down. She couldn't remember anything, didn't recall anything, and just completely shut down. I said, is that justice? Is that justice, or is that someone trying to win? And then we have these cooperators where some of them were just so blatantly lying. One of them was lying so bad, I had a statement because they have to turn over this 3,500 material. Whenever they interview a witness and they take notes, they turn over their notes. I'm reading from their notes. Mm -hmm. They met with the government like six days before this testimony. So I'm reading their notes where this guy admitted that he lied about something. And I'm questioning him and he's like, nope, I didn't lie. So I look to the government because they have a duty and obligation to make sure that none of these witnesses perpetrate a fraud on the court by lying, and they're supposed to correct the record. So I object. I go up to the bench. I'm like, Judge, I can't believe this. They know. They have. That's their notes. He's mm -hmm. lying. So mm -hmm. then finally the judge allowed – well, allowed us um, – the government had to introduce that those notes by a stipulation and read the statement to the jury how this guy was lying. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just it was just so shocking. So getting back to my four witnesses, you're gonna love this. I had four witnesses. One I lost because he was out of the country and they wouldn't allow remote testimony. Okay. Uh, second witness. I lost it on an evidentiary issue. It was impeaching one of their witnesses, and you're really not supposed to do it with extraneous material. So I lost that witness. I had two really good fact witnesses that I needed to support our defense. So what does the government do? They approach the judge, and they're like, well, you know, in regards to Mr. Murray's witnesses, we believe these witnesses may have criminal liability 
So we want to make sure they have an attorney available to them. So they, now I know that, you know, my client's accused of a lot of stuff. So I'm not subpoenaing anyone. If you want to come and testify and you want to tell the truth about what happened, that's great. So the government goes to the judge and they ask to have a lawyer appointed for one of these witnesses. And what does that guy do? I mean, what, what is any lawyer going to do in a case like this? Uh, the, government, the government is telling me that you have criminal liability. It's malpractice for him to say, don't worry about it, go testify anyway. Mm -hmm. So they shut that witness down. The other guy ended up getting his own lawyer, um, who was someone that worked over there. He calls the prosecutors and he does the same thing. Well, this is Murray's defense, but we don't believe it and we think it's a lie, so we're going to go after him and prosecute him if he testifies. Now, all of a sudden, I have no witnesses. You know, like this... Mm -hmm. This is how relentless the government is. They don't care. You know, yeah, you said everybody copped a plea that was un involved in it. Why didn't this guy want to cop a plea? He's not guilty. Oh, I know it, that. You know, I know it, that. It was we so all know painful. that. But. Mark, it was so painful because I had the greatest deal for him. He's not a citizen. So the, the plea that they originally offered was it was like 20 something months in the guidelines, which I could have got knocked down even more. Um, and he would not be deported. This guy lives here. He's got four kids, a wife, a family. So the beauty of it is he would not have been deported. Take it, do a little time, maybe a halfway house. Maybe you'll get probation. It's up to the judge in the federal system. You don't know what you're mm -hmm. going to get. You bargain for guideline numbers. And then at sentencing, you argue, they argue up, you argue down, uh, or they argue for a guideline sentence. But it was guaranteeing him that he'll stay in the country. And I went to him, I said, you know, just because you have so much exposure here and you have a family and you have, you got to, you got to think of this. And I sent them to an immigration attorney who explained his whole circumstances and confirmed he'll be fine. And he was like, I just can't do it. I am not guilty. They're lying. These witnesses are lying. So yeah, I know, you know, listen, I know that you know that, but that's that's why people cop please. I look, I noticed the guy's name. He look it's almost like a Russian name. Is this guy Russian? And yeah, if well, he is Uzbekistan, Uzbekistan. Well, He's okay, here brings up another point. Let's just say yeah. you wanted to deport him now. All the deals off the table. You can't even do that now because you can't send him to a war-torn country. You can't send him to a place that he might get killed because he was in America. They don't care. They don't care. I don't know if, but I, I just don't think. I think, yeah, obviously, you might get the call. You know, some attorney might get the call that he can't. He can't send them back to while the Russia's in the middle of a war. You can't send them back. Send them back to his country. Well, he's not going to Russia. He, he would go to Uzbekistan. But uh, yeah, that's the government is ruthless. They don't care. Mm. So, oh, yeah. like, I, I can't get into the details of the case, but mm -hmm. just from the procedural aspect of it, mm -hmm. how the government attacks you, attacks your well, witnesses. Watch this. I'm going to show you something. This is how, unfortunately, the government works. We see it firsthand every day, weaponizing um, the FBI. FBI raided Catholic activist Mark Hook uh, at his residence even after he agreed to surrender peacefully. So 
apparently this guy he's a christian and he's pro-life and i don't know what he was doing but um the fbi went after him and even though he has an attorney already and they made an agreement for him to turn himself in waiting on the date apparently they decided that they were going to get him out of his house early in the morning i think he's got like six or seven kids uh, like half of them are under like the age of five he's pleading with them outside you know uh, through the window or the door that um and mind you we're both ex-cops retired yeah. cops yeah we know when everybody the song and dance somebody's scared they don't want to go to jail you're like dude you're gonna go whether we gotta wait here or a year or a day you're coming with us oh yeah. you know so a lot of this i could i can read through the crying aspect of it and scared but the fbi seem i mean the government seems to be weaponizing the uh, the fbi for these early morning raids we saw it on that i don't know 70 year old guy that was uh, associated with uh, Donald Trump, uh, uh, former President Donald Trump, the guy with the white hair. What was that guy? Roger yeah. Stewart or something? No, uh, what, what, Novello or something? What was his name? No, it was the guy with the white hair and the uh, bow ties. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. And then it's banned. In two These guys, people are getting raided early in the morning, and that that, that scares the crap out of you. I have a, a friend who, who killed himself, a former member of the service good friend he passed he, yeah. because of an fbi uh visit to his residence which was already unnecessary because they talked to him once before all they had to do was pick up the phone and say come on in we want to talk to you again and they come to your house and it, it's it's a it's, you know they just do it it's a scare tactic right yeah so what do you think about this uh the way the the, the, the government is operating here it's very similar to like this trial, like I'll give you an example. During the trial, they had one of the cooperators testifying, and then we took a break. The judge was like, all right, take a 10-minute break. Everyone can stretch or whatever. So what do I do? I turn to my client, and I start talking to him. Little did I know my client's wife is sitting in the first row of the, the courtroom, you know, bench seats. Mm -hmm. And she's listening. She doesn't speak English. She speaks Uzbek. And she's listening to the witness talking to the interpreter. And what it was is the U.S. attorney was communicating with the witness during the break, which is okay. It's not, I mean, you really shouldn't. It's disfavored. But what she overheard the interpreter say was she was upset with the way he was testifying and, you know, angry with him and telling him to testify the way we told you, which you cannot do. That's unethical, improper. So now I don't know this. So the day ends. And before I start my cross-examination, because now it's my turn, I'm driving in with my client and he doesn't know the law. And he says, oh, I wanted to tell you, my wife told me yesterday during the break, she overheard the interpreter translating mm -hmm. from the U.S. attorney to the witness. I said, are you kidding me? Why didn't you tell me this? Hold so, on one second. Hold that thought. Hey, Angel's here. Hey, What's Angel. What's up? What's Joe up, Murray. Brother? How you doing? Good, Papi. How you doing? Good, good. Just telling Joe's them these war stories on this uh, trial. Yeah, just just yeah. unethical conduct that really just made me sick. I mean, 
So I have my client in the courtroom and she speaks Uzbek and she's listening during a break. And we take a break and I'm talking to my client and my client's wife is sitting there and she sees the U.S. attorney talk to the witness. This is a witness who's still testifying. Mm. And she overhears the interpreter. She can't hear the U.S. attorney. Here's the interpreter say, why are you testifying this way? Testify the you know, like testify the way we told you how to testify, which is oh, completely yeah. unethical. Right, right, right. So I don't know about this. They go home, and now on the way in the next day, he's telling me this. Oh, sure. I just can't believe a lawyer would do that. Right. So I said, okay, before I start my cross-examination, I'm going to ask the witness about that. So the witness is on the stand. I said, because if he's not going to admit to it, we're not going to go anywhere. Right. So I asked him, during the break yesterday, did you sp speak to anyone from the government? And he's under oath. And he's under oath. That's so he it. goes, yes, I did. Who did you speak to? I spoke to the FBI agent, you know, th this male FBI agent who was there. I said, well, what did you speak to him about? This is news to me. Right. He says, oh, I just want to know where to go and what time to come back because you know he didn't speak English. <laughs> so I said, okay, did you speak to anyone else? And he's like, no. I said, isn't the fact that you did speak to this female U.S. attorney over here? And he hesitated, and then he said, yes. Oh, and my wow. very next question was, isn't it a fact that she expressed she was upset with the way you were testifying yesterday? She jumps up and says, objection. I couldn't have asked for a better response. <laughs> what does that say? Right, yeah. You'll be discharged, you know? That's right, yeah. So we go up and we're in front of the judge and we're arguing. And she's like, what, what are you accusing her? You're accusing this honorable I said, Judge, I'm asking a question. I was informed by my client's wife. She overheard this conversation. I think it's appropriate to ask this. So after back and forth, you know, she's like, okay, I'll let you, I'll let him answer because he still hasn't answered. Now, did she say that was she trying to do like the attorney uh, client privilege shit? Because that goes out the window when you're in a courtroom, right? When you're, when you're a prosecutor, when you're there, there's no right, yeah. attorney client privilege. Right, right. Yeah, a yeah. defense attorney is attorney client, but a prosecutor right, right, right. is a yeah, 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 These yeah. are witnesses. So, so how did it go? So how did it go? So she, after a long sidebar where we're getting a little heated there, she goes, I'll allow him to answer the question. Mm. So I ask it again, and he says no. So then she goes, if he says no, you're stuck with it. You have to just leave it. So he says no. So then I go, and I finish my cross. We're done with the witness, and, and now the judge excuses the jury, and we start arguing. I'm like, judge, I'm not satisfied. I want my, my client's wife on the stand. I want a hearing, and I want this interpreter on the stand. Let her right. testify as to what she translated. So long and short of it, we get a break. We go outside. The government does one of these huddles with the FBI agents, three U.S. attorneys, staff members, all surrounding the interpreter. To me, that was so unethical. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should not go near her. Don't talk to her and let her get on the stand That's it, to yeah. testify. So after they talk to her, she the judge calls her to the stand without the jury. She's doing a hearing about this. 
So she puts her on this thing and she says, do you recall during the break translating uh, a conversation with the U.S. attorney and the witness? And she says, yes. She goes, do you recall what was said? And she goes, I don't recall every, this is like a typical coached answer. I don't recall everything that was said, but it was nothing about his testimony. Oh, wow. Get the hell out of here. (laughs) So, and the judge turns to me and she says, uh, okay, are you satisfied? So I I told her to ask a few more questions. And then I said, I want my client's wife on the stand. I want to make a record here. Right, yeah. Because I don't know what the remedy I'm looking for yet. The remedy could be strike his testimony, strike his afternoon testimony, because that's when he, you know, had the conversation, but the morning was fine. Or mistrial, because I don't know who, how many other witnesses she's done this to, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. So we're going back and forth, and uh, the judge says to me, she goes, no, I'm not going to put your wife's client on the stand. Just tell me the words that she heard. I'm like, Judge, they're in Uzbek. I can't tell you the words she heard. Like, let her tell the, the interpreter what she heard. Right, yeah. He's like, no, I'm not allowing that. Uh, but if you want to call her as a witness at trial, I'll allow you to call her as a witness. Mm. So wait a second. The court interpreter didn't have to testify as a witness. But now you're forcing my client to testify as a witness in front of the jury, my client's wife, wife yeah. which will open her up to cross-examination about everything about my client. And, you know, why can't she testify here, Judge? Why does she got to testify at, the, at the, the trial? Right. So I just thought it was so unfair. I was well, telling Mark. Well, if you have, um, if you're going up. Like you, I'm sorry, Mark. Oh, he, he lost he the case. Out, he was found guilty. Yeah, we lost the case. But it was things like that that tainted the evidence. Yeah, yeah. You know, that really bugged me. And I and I, I actually attacked them, you know, viciously during my closing argument, so much so the judge was yelling at me and then instructed the jury after my closing argument. She says, I just want the jury to know the government is not on trial here. Oh, <laughs> shit. Wow. I ripped them apart because yeah, yeah, yeah. this was so unethical the way that they handled this, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah. a lesson. And uh, to if you paid attention to tonight's show, that's one thing that you take away from you. If you're going to go up against the government, <laughs> the federal government, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Yeah. Listen, you know, most of the time when you watch these things on TV unfold, it always seems like the bad guy or the person who's on trial has the abundance of attorneys and it always looks like the government is operating on a shoestring budget. And, you know, this other guy's got millions and millions of dollars in his coffer for his legal team. This, but this looked like the opposite. This you're talking about how many three U S attorneys sitting at the table. They had two staff members and two FBI agents. So it was funny because during the cooperators, there were seven cooperators, and I kept asking them about the truth. I said, the truth according to who? Is it according to this jury pointing to the the jury in the case or this other table? I said, is it according to this jury over here, the government's table? I said, the fact that it's this jury that determines who's telling the truth and whose truth is it? Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I really, you know, laid into them. The judge was like so upset. She was like, Mr. Murray, you know, like, mm-hmm. but you gotta mm-hmm. fight. What are you that. doing? What are you, you doing, gotta- Mr. Murray? <laughs> <laughs> let's, um, let's pick up. Uh, we got like 
uh, I'm doing an abbreviated show because I, I told you, Angel, I got a doctor's appointment for my. I got. Yeah, yeah. I just for... wanted to come on in and show support and say hi to everybody. How how legal is this? Uh, DeSantis' office hits back after class action suit for migrants reveals consent forms. That's what I said. I said they probably if this guy was smart, he'd have him sign consent forms. I'd even videotape it, but now I go back on that, like wondering, like if the rooms aren't set up properly, uh, an yeah. attorney could pick apart how the rooms are set up. But sure. definitely a consent form with a picture, whatever name you're given, sign the freaking X right here. Let me take a picture, get him on the bus, you know. So I, I don't think they have a leg to stand on. I know they're very, very upset uh, because, you know, he, he uh, DeSantis was part of humiliating, uh, you know, the federal government here. And all these yeah. people that are involved in uh, this nonsense with the migrants, and uh, so, uh, w what do you think? Is it? Do they have a leg? I don't think they. You think they have a leg to stand on the going after you the Santas? Sadly, I would tell you that. Sadly, first I would say absolutely not. I think you know he, he has his ducks in a row and he covered everything with the. But sadly, what I see in the law, and this is why I'm so glad I, I, mm -hmm. I'm retiring and I'm moving south. <laughs> Sadly, it's the jurisdiction, it's the venue, it's the mm -hmm. judge, it's not the law anymore. It's not yeah. the facts and the law of the case. Yep. It all depends on the politics of the people involved. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and where you're gonna try this case. So yeah, it's yeah. sadly we are we are yeah. eroding our system of and power. the problem too is that they, they they televise everything, right? Or they televise what behooves them. So, yeah. like, they didn't televise the Ghislaine Maxwell case, but, you know, or trial, but they televise other shit, and they put, and then the judge, the judge is, you know, the human, right, and it's human nature, so now they're on the world stage, and they start grandstanding, right, and they start making the trial about them, and how many objections that they could, you know, overrule, or yeah. how they can become the star of the show, and it becomes a shit show, it becomes a shit Well, show. the Maxwell case, federal cases, they do not allow you to film, mm -hmm. period, that's... That's just a rule, federal right, rule. Right, right. Um, but I agree with you because look at this Trump thing where they had this judge, the magistrate judge in Florida, who previously recused himself yeah. from a case involving Trump and Clinton. Right. But now he's the judge on this. Like, who had this idea that this was a good idea? Yeah. You know, it's not just the impropriety that may take place. It's the appearance of an impropriety that you must avoid in, yeah. you know, in our legal system, because yeah. otherwise, if we don't have faith in our, our, our criminal justice system, it's, it's gone. Nobody will, nobody will support it and abide by it. The problem so, is, is that they, too many people cry wolf. Like they, yeah. you know, they, they say that this is like, you know, the corrupt, uh, um, uh, racist, uh, you know, uh, disproportionately racist justice system when it's, when it's not, it's not. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're, we're not talking about 60, 70 years ago. We're talking about 2022. And they cry wolf and they cry wolf and they cry wolf. And then, you know, people believe it and they buy into it. And, and all the social justice bullshit starts. And they do yeah. the shit under the guise of helping people. And all they do is they, they, they make a farce out of the whole process. All right. Let's, yeah. um, we got one more story we could cover. Uh, Phil Leo's in the house. I didn't mention the, that. But Phil Leo. Hi, Phil Leo. What's Thanks up, for joining everybody us. in the chat? Also, uh, what's her name? Uh, K.H. Walker has joined us. Raquel Bronzo is with us as well. Yes. So hello to everybody. Um, I want to talk about this a little bit. We got uh, like less than five minutes left. 
for me anyway. I got to go. Uh, undo vax sex. Judge rules against NYPD jab mandate. Are these guys going to get their jobs back, Joe? Well, I mean, I'm sure the city's going to appeal it further. Yeah, they've stopped it, it already. It really looks like, you know, they may get their jobs back now, which is great. I mean, that's that's amazing. I remember this case initially. I think it's Marciano, right? Is that what was in the article? Uh, I, I think know, the uh, it's the detective yeah. Marciano, the one from the seven eight or something. Yeah, this guy originally won his Article seventy eight at the uh, the lower court, and the city removed it because of the federal issue, the First Amendment, religious freedom. They removed it to federal court, and a federal judge struck down the stay that was put in place. But they kept going and going and appealed it, and now you know this this case uh, looks. Eventually, good. one was going to fall through the cracks because this was illegal. Uh, it was government overreach. They should have never gone this far. Uh, firing first responders, you count on them for everything else, and now all of a sudden, because they won't toe the line, you're, you're firing them from their job. Well, the, the argument yeah. here is also that um, it wasn't part of their job description. Um, they call it a uh, part of their uh, conditions of employment was to get yes. this. It was yeah. never a part of uh, the a condition of their employment to get vaccinated yep. um, any further than they already got hired with. So that's why they can't be fired that way. And there is a collective bargaining agreement that goes along with this. It's not like you, it's not, uh, it's not see Eric Adams over here lifted the thing, uh, the ban for uh, private sector jobs that they don't have to do it, but he won't lift it for the city. I don't understand. Cause he's um, a piece of shit. That's why. Well, he's obviously got his hands tied. He, I don't think he cares one way or the other. He's a disappointment, uh, but I, man. He's I think, yeah, he's, he's, he's on, the, he's on the in the newspaper getting the fourth jab, which is probably full of water because I don't oh, think he trusts trust the government any further than he can. He's throw a perfect him. example of a grandstander, right? He just wants to be in the spotlight. He goes to Puerto Rico for what? To keep the nightclubs open? I mean, what the fuck? I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's full of shit. He's a big disappointment. Yeah, that's uh. It's a shame what what you know what's happening in the city and you know. EMT just got killed, you know. Right now, lieutenant, a lieutenant from EMS. Yeah, she so got what? stabbed. He's she got stabbed working? to death in Queens. Right yeah, now. she was responding to a call or something, or she was going to help somebody and she got stabbed to death. They're really uh, going to have to do something because yeah. um, when you can't even go when an e EMS. Somebody that's actually coming to help you, unarmed, a fireman, and you're killing them. That's not good. Yep. Uh, anyway, listen. I, like I said, I have to go to the doctor to get this. Uh, this uh, what's a what's it called? Um, prostate. Ultrasound. Prostate. Oh no, no. I do my own prostate exams. <laughs> well, I don't do. I don't do it on my on my by myself. I, my next door neighbor, he comes and helps me out. Bend over. I'm gonna take your temperature, Mark. <laughs> he takes my prostate. I take his. This way, we both, you know, because it costs a lot of money in copays. If you do, if, listen. If you guys want to join in, you oh live, you're God. more than welcome to come over. Uh, we do it on. We do it every other day. Usually, oh my god, you don't what want these, before. you don't want these thick beaters in your prostate. <laughs> trust me, <laughs> oh, beef steaks. Oh it's funny because I, when I used to go to uh, when I had my prostate exams, the first doctor I had had really long fingers like you, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the guy left to another uh place, and now I got this Asian guy, he had short, chubby fingers. <laughs> So I was like, this guy's not getting all the way. I need the guy that gets in there all the way in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, you got well, to listen. You got to do it, man. You got to check for cancer. I'll see you yeah. guys. I'm gonna sign off. Uh, rest in peace, 
Brian Mulkeen, uh, this is a shirt actually for him. Today's the three year anniversary of his death. Um, uh, Anti-crime cop in the Bronx. Um, rest in peace to him. And um, I'm going to let yeah. you guys go. I'm going to jump off. I'll see you Adios. Monday, right? Monday. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go. Take care. Keep Thanks. your luck on the right, brother. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for jumping in, Angel. Bye, everybody and, in the um, chat. Love the people guys. that are in the chat right now, I want to apologize for the abbreviated show. I wanted to have Joe on because I wanted him to uh, to tell us about the case and stuff like that. I think we we all learned a little something tonight. Um, just to, just be careful, man, when you're dealing with the federal government. Uh, they don't like to lose. They're not playing over here. So before we go, let's just say goodnight to uh, Peter Pranzo, Pauline Buckles, Milwaukee Civilian, Phil Leo. Mary Goldstein, Laura McKenzie, Dormarie, London Girl, Kathy Bates and Axel, Maui Swift, all of you, Angela. Um, but I saw um, Scotty Wagner was on here too, Tom, Tom Cassinelli, Cusinelli. Uh, you guys are wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm so happy and, and lucky to have you guys part of the family. K.H. Walker. And uh, we'll be back Monday night with a brand new episode of The Week in Crime and Policing. And we're going to start picking up some steam here on Thursday nights. I got some guests lined up, and it's going to be great. And uh, wish me luck, folks. Let's hope this blood clot is gone, and I'm done dealing yeah. with this. Uh, it's I'm a little bit scared, actually. Yeah. So I, don't know, I don't know what I don't know what the alternative is. If I go and it's, it's still not gone, um, now blood what? Thinners. Blood thinners, well, right? I've been on blood thinners for four months. The guy took me off for more than four months. He goes, you sh whether whether you have it or not, you got to get off these things. You've been on it too long. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now we'll see what happens. So I'll see you guys uh, Monday. Right. I'll let you guys oh, know. Boy. Thank you, Joe Murray. All right, brother. Um, you, you dropped a lot of knowledge on us and uh, the move to Florida. Listen, I'm going to miss you. You got to do what's good for you, though. And uh, who knows? Yeah. Maybe I'll meet you down there, too. Sure. Well, Everybody well. seems. Can we can we all just move down there? Why not? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're making it impossible to live here. You know, I know. Terrible. I know. It's, just, it's just a sad day. It's sad so. things are going on. All right, folks. All the best to you guys. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you, Joe. And we'll see you Monday night. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks, brother. You've got it, baby.